Thanks for listening to the Q&A podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sundays, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. Uh, welcome to uh, Q&A Podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Deason. I'm here once again with Matt Karsh. And we're coming to you live from the River's Edge Q&A Podcast headquarters. World headquarters. Karsh's closet. <laughs> where, we, where we've hung blankets. We have built a makeshift uh, recording studio out of blankets. Yes. Our soundboard broke uh, this Sunday. Uh, leaving us with nothing to record. I would on, like so. to believe it was sabotaged <laughs> <laughs> by an outside. Was you think it was an outside? I'm job not or quite job? sure who who I'm ready to blame it on. Okay, but it's someone's fault. Yeah. Either way, here we are uh, huddled together in Matt Karsh's closet, recording the next episode of the Q and A podcast. And so, if you've uh, been tracking, you know the last episode we tackled a pretty sticky question, looking at uh, violence in the Old Testament. Why is there so much violence? Uh, What do you do with Israel conquering the land uh, or some Israelites being ordered to kill other Israelites who are in rebellion? And um, you you have all of that and it's really heavy and, and really a stumbling block for a lot of people. Then you get to the New Testament and you see Jesus, who is um, the clearest picture of God uh, that we're going to get. And the picture we get of Jesus is um, very compelling. Uh, non-violence. Uh, he, you know, goes to his own death like a sheep to the slaughter. Many people will point out, hey, he, he, he's letting the evil of the world kill him, and yet he's flipping evil on its head at the same time. Uh, he teaches his followers to love their enemies and to turn the other cheek when they're slapped. And so, how do we um, reconcile those? And, and we, we really took on the first question in the last episode, which is, what do you do with the violence uh, in the Old Testament? Is, you know, was it from God? Was it justified? We tried to put it in context and, and give some history surrounding it and put ourselves in the place of the Israelites or this freed group of slaves, total underdog, now have to take on a superpower. Uh, and in essence, God saying, I will lead you, I'll fight on your behalf. But as we tackle that question, we're, we're kind of uh, bumping up against a larger question, which is because we, we're always going to feel that tension, I think, between like the character of the Old Testament and some of the, the wars and violence and stuff we see there versus the character of Jesus and even the disciples in the early church that we get to see and um, the role that violence plays in their life. And so what really what we want to do is uh, do one more episode, uh, this one, uh, answering the question or wrestling with the question, is God a pacifist? And is there any room in the, what role does force and violence play in the life of a new covenant, New Testament um, Christian? And so those are the, the questions that we're going to be uh, wrestling with. And I don't know if you have any initial thoughts or if we should start by just talking about pacifism. Well, actually, I, I, I gave homework at the end of the last. Oh, you did. Do you remember that? Isaiah 2. Did you? Yeah. Did you do your homework? Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. Well, I want to read this passage just because um, I think that God's promises have to be understood. Um, holistically right so 
if we're going to have a conversation around the role of violence and even violence in the Old Testament versus New Testament, what did Christians, how was our response? Um, a, a promise like that in Isaiah 2 is really crucial for us because, one, it's seated in the Old Testament. This is a promise given to the nation of Israel. And uh, as someone who, though I've never trained with a weapon, I've served in the United States Army for the last six years. And um, this promise took on a whole new meaning after uh, going through the equivalent of basic training for me as a chaplain. And uh, this promise, as I've talked with more and more soldiers, is something that it takes on a whole new meaning when you speak this promise to a warrior culture like would have been spoken to Israel. So Isaiah 2, verse 4, is the promise I'm talking about. Uh, God says that in the last days, there's this beautiful promise, they, that's the nations, the, all of the countries of the world, will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Um, mm. Weapons will be done away with. There'll be no need for warfare. There will be peace among all of God's creation. And that is a promise that God gives in the Old Testament, looking forward to a day when God does set all things right and warfare is no longer needed, weapons are no longer needed, and we do get to experience shalom and peace in its fullness. That's the promise from the very beginning, and that has to be kept before us anytime we have this conversation. Right. So we're all looking forward to the same future place, yes. the same future hope uh, in which there is no violence. Right. Um, and it's, it's just not necessary. You know, everything has been made peaceful and brought under uh, Jesus and his kingship. Uh, and so we're all looking forward to that. I guess the question we would wrestle with in the meantime is, what do we do in this age right. and in this time? Uh, and so there's several um, sort of main schools of thought uh, within Christianity as to how we should respond, uh, in, in a sense, to evil in the world. What do we what do we do about it? Is um, nonviolence the only justifiable response? And so there's one school that we'll highlight first that would we would call pacifism. And well, and and I want to be fair, and the the language used to describe themselves would be something like kingdom pacifism or oh, okay. um, Christian nonviolence. So, um, the the key distinction is that um, most people who who buy into to this reading in the New Testament that says because Jesus said things like um, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, turn the other cheek, statements like that, it's very clear. Uh, to them that this means that there's no role for coercive force for Christians. And the reason that it's important that you say it's kingdom pacifism or Christian nonviolence, not just pacifism in general, is because on the whole, most of the people from this school of thought don't, don't think that it's something, it's a command that everyone everywhere needs to follow. It's specifically for those people who call themselves Christians. Followers yes. of Jesus are the ones who need to be So you need calling to, for disciples of, yes, of Christ. Yes. yes. Because a, a common critique that, that that helps kind of sidestep is that, well, that's just not realistic in our day and age. How, mm -hmm. how could you be like that? Well, the calling's not for everyone. The calling's for those who follow after Jesus is mm -hmm. the, the argument. So kingdom pacifism, Christian nonviolence, right. that's the, we should right, start right. there. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. So just the general definition for pacifism is uh, the belief that any violence 
including war, is unjustifiable under any circumstances, and that all disputes should be settled by peaceful means. Yeah. And so to be a kingdom pacifist then would be to say, as a Christian, violence, uh, force, are, they're never justifiable under any means. We should always find a, a, a peaceful solution to any sort of dispute. Anything else you want to add to that? Um, no, I, well, I guess the only other thing I'd say is that um, part of the, I think the gift and the creative thinking is, isn't just to say for, for kingdom pacifism, Christian nonviolence, the position isn't just to say, well, let, let people do whatever they want to anyone else. Right. But get creative about your means. Totally. Get creative about the ways in which you engage with injustice or the ways in which you engage with oppression that don't just immediately resort to coercive force. Right, violence. right, right. That's a good point. So by, by saying I'm a pacifist, it doesn't mean, because you kind of have like the Hollywood, right. like in movies and stuff, right. and the guy's always like a hippie on the couch, like, no, I'm a pacifist, man. Like, mm-hmm. I just smoke weed or whatever. <laughs> but like, really, true, pa- true kingdom pacifism would say, I'm going to step forward toward the dispute, but find creative ways to confront and stifle uh, violence. I'm going to meet uh, violence with nonviolence and in many cases kind of expose the oppressor or expose the the violence um, for the the grotesque thing that it that it often is. And you don't really get to see that when it's violence versus violence. It's more like, well, who's right and who's wrong. Mm-hmm. But what you see in uh, a Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, or even a Gandhi, it's like these, well, you're up against people who have power, who have, who have been oppressing, uh, who have weapons that they can use to oppress. Mm-hmm. And I don't have anything, I don't have any of that. Um, but we're going to stand up in a non-violent, non-violent creative way. Um, and with the two individuals I just mentioned, it was hugely successful. Uh, and, and I think both of them in some way would trace back to, well, look at Jesus and look what he yeah. did. We're just trying to follow in his footsteps. Uh, and so we can start by saying that there is, when you, when you see that in action and when you see it done right and done successfully, it's, it's beautifully compelling. Um, and we celebrate those, those people and those movements for what they accomplished. But that doesn't necessarily answer the question. We, we could say, hey, there's a beauty to that. Um, and maybe even that, that should be our primary avenue as Christians. But I think what the other question we're wrestling with is, is there ever a place for, for force or violence? And so I think when you are holding kind of the new the the old testament and the new testament side by side a pacifist is going to um look at the old testament which we discussed in the last episode and one of the arguments that i've heard made from the pacifism side is well the violence that you see carried out by human beings in the old testament that was what they would call divine accommodation meaning people are broken they're sinful and god's kind of working within their broken nature and just doing what he can uh and so what helped me and because i just that kind of went over my head the first time i heard it like what do you mean that was divine accommodation but then the common examples that people would point to would be to say well you know, people in that day and age was part of the culture to have multiple wives. Well, God never condones that, but he works within their brokenness. Well, God's, you know, heart for Israel was that he would be their king. And instead, the people demand a human king and God, you know, kind of works within their brokenness. And so from the, if you're going to try and maintain, you know, God's God himself, 
uh, is always a pacifist and, you know, never wants people to use force or violence, then I think you kind of have to go that route in my mind of saying, well, yeah, it's in the Old Testament, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't God's ideal. He was just working with broken people who wanted to do it that way. Or yeah, and on, the, and on the extreme end, one of the readings becomes that, um, yes, God did say that, but God essentially allows himself to be misunderstood by the people because that's what they thought about when they thought about God. They thought of like a warrior who would help them conquer. Right, right, right. So God allows himself to be misunderstood and that's a means by which he bears the sin of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and according to that argument, you would say, well, that's why you think the Old Testament God is confusing and you find Jesus really clear. Right. Because Jesus, the Jesus God, allowed himself to be misunderstood right. by getting mixed up in kind of that culture and human patterns and that sort of exactly. stuff. Exactly. And the, the problem, one of the problems with that line of logic and thinking is that divine accommodation... Um, it's different in the scenario of the king or different in the scenario of the multiple wives because in those instances, God either actively doesn't command it or actively commands against it. Right. He either says, don't do that, or it's just silent on the topic. Right. Yeah. So, the, like the king, there's provisions for a king at the end of Deuteronomy. And the, the problem with the nation of Israel calling for a king in 1 Samuel is not that they want a king in and of itself, because there's actually a provision in the law for how a king should be. And there's actually a promise of a king from Genesis 49. Mm-hmm. Like, there's going to be a king of Israel. So that problem isn't that there's going to be a king of Israel. The problem is how the people ask for it and why they want it. So God is accommodating, in a sense, but, but not in the same way that he would be for this argument about violence, because God actively tells people in various scenarios when to use coercive force and not. And we'll even go beyond the conquest of the land. <coughs> One of the interesting ones, again, people rarely have a problem with, is if you read through the Old Testament law, what happens if, um, let's say if I, if I murder you? One of the penalties levied on me is that I will be killed. Mm-hmm. Well, life, who's going to kill life. me? Another person's going to kill me. Right. So God is going to bring about justice and retribution for my sinful act by using someone else's coercive force towards me. People rarely seem to have a problem with that as a divinely ordained action where God brings about justice through the actions of a human being, but that's just what God commands. Mm -hmm. And so if we talk about the conquest of the land, that's one subject um, which we can address too, because God does command them to, does command Israel to, to, to do warfare. Uh, and to take over the land. Uh, it, so God's not, being, God's not accommodating himself in the same sort of way that he would be with the whole king or the, the multiple, the polygamy. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, so you see these different strands, but even in the Old Testament, you kind of see this picture of, well, what happens after the fall? Well, there's violence. Well, you know, the most violent kind of people... The, the people who really harp on violence and re- retribution, they're always the bad guys, you know, like through the Old Testament, through like Lamech and all these guys. And so there's this sense in which um, the, the wicked and those who are like, the wicked are often like prone toward violence. Um, and there, there's this tension there where you see like so often they're, it's... it's they're prone towards it. Yeah. 
I mean, that that's just their their, their, orient- their method of yeah. choice. Yeah. Um, but you you see that that tension um, throughout the Old Testament, and I even think I was just reading uh, recently the story about like David going to build. You know, David's living in a palace, and he says, "Well, I'd really like to build God a." a a temple you know why am i living in a palace while the presence of god is being hosted in a in a tent that doesn't make sense and he kind of says hey god you know i want to go i want to build you a magnificent temple where you'll dwell and it's really interesting one of the reasons that god says no you're not going to build yeah. a temple is he said you have you blood have on your hands, hands. yeah uh, which is which is so fascinating to me because if you look back like god is the one empowering david God empowers David to beat Goliath. God empowers David to like beat the Philistines. Oh, and so we're you gonna see get into like, another subject, which is really interesting, especially for me as a chaplain. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh yeah, I was just saying that that for me, the David Temple moment um, helps capture some of the tension for me. That like God did this, like God empowered David to do this for Israel. Yeah, it was almost like if you're gonna say that it's evil, then I would call it a necessary evil. It was like this necessary evil that he empowered david well, we to don't do know if he's calling it evil <clears throat> no i'm saying if we were oh, to okay yeah i'm saying like as the listener if you if you say all force and all violence is inherently evil then then i would run that back through the story and say well then it was a necessary evil that he empowered david to do but then there's still this like fallout from it right where it's like no i actually want a peaceful king to build my temple right. not the warrior king who's got blood on his hands even though god empowered him to do that which is so yeah i won't go down this rabbit trail but this is that's a very important note because in the in the kingdom pacifism that's a that's a place to look and see look here did god that's not god's ideal that's not what god wants and that's why david's not allowed to build the temple um the, the response that i would have is to simply say that uh that is reading something into the text just like I would be with this other uh, assumption. It's not, like you don't just draw that out of the text in and of itself. But the the important point is that any time one human being kills another human being or takes the life of another human being, wow. it's it's important. There's something that goes on there. There's something. Um, it's a big deal. It's a big deal, which is why the promise for the future of having no more warfare and no more death and dying mm-hmm. and crying and tears, that's why it's a beautiful promise because we don't have to experience that anymore. Right. We should always view it because I think you uh, will slowly get to more where you and I land, yeah. um, which is not kingdom passivism, um, though there's elements of that that are very compelling. Yeah. And so as we move that direction, uh, I, I do think some of that is is important to point out that even if you... <laughs> more in the other camp which maybe we would call just war then we no matter who you are as a christian if you believe in the scriptures you you have to see the death of a human being as a really big deal yeah. like you don't have a choice you can't just treat it flippantly you can't just say well our people matter and those people over there don't matter or they're less than human um, god i think of noah after the flood and god's speaking to him and he said like hey if anyone sheds human blood then their blood should be said because human beings are made in the image of God. Right. So if you ascribe to, if you say the scriptures are truth, you have to follow that logic that every single human being, no matter who they are, no matter what they're mixed up in, no matter what their ideology is, no matter what radical form of religion, it doesn't matter. They are an image bearer of God. And that comes loaded with implications um, that we miss in more of our um, 
nationalistic right. um, kind of pro-violence so, camps. Which is why when we get to then talking about about when is it appropriate to for Christians to ever use coercive force or violence, it's important to remember that Christian thinkers throughout history have then given really clear guidelines for what's needed to enter into warfare and how do you conduct yourself rightly in warfare because of that acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. It's different than being the nationalistic, patriotic, like over the top, hey, God is on our side and so we can just kill anyone and everyone because they're not like us. Right. Yeah, that yeah. is not the position that we have to I don't firmly can, reject that. Yeah, I don't think yeah. you can get there from from reading scripture faithfully and, and seeking to follow after Jesus and, and seeking to wrestle with the tension of Jesus saying, turn the other cheek, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. Mm-hmm. And you can't get there if you read any bit of church history about how Christians have engaged with this topic, let's say from the year 200 until 1300. Right. So maybe we can do that because I know we're going to run out of time. Yeah. We, we kind of touched on the Old Testament and said, we, we're not really on board with the divine accommodation, you know, whatever. But we really see God actually doing this stuff. It's heavy, you know, yeah. it like hurts God's heart to do that. Um, God impresses on, on people from the very beginning. Every single human being is made in my image. And, and so we have that in the Old Testament. Let's move, if we can, into kind of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. Um, what do we see that kind of speaks of creative nonviolence? It, it, do we see within what Jesus did and taught? Um, do, do you see room in there for the use of force within as a disciple of Jesus? And, and then we'll have to do that briefly because yeah. I actually want to get into the church as well. And not like some big discussion of church history, but we have to speed up to the modern day. Right. But first is Jesus. So, well, so here's just, I mean, here's the, the brief overview. Okay, Jesus says the the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, most kingdom pacifist people will say, well, it's not loving to use coercive force or violence against someone. Mm -hmm. How can it be loving to kill someone? Right. And then you you sprinkle in all the other comments about love your enemies, if those persecute you, turn the other cheek. Yes. And you get a a rightfully, like... um, uh, strong argument for well clearly jesus was not all about violence which clearly he was not oh yeah 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 but the the question has to be asked not simply is it ever appropriate for a christian to use violence but is violence ever a loving act mm. that yeah. is the question that that ambrose and augustine uh in the fourth century deal with is violence ever a loving act? Mm-hmm. And so in order to get to a just war position, you have to say that sometimes use of violence or, co- or coercive force is, is the most loving act. Mm-hmm. Now, we can think of a handful of examples of when that might be the case in really clear ways. Mm-hmm. But philosophically, that's what you, you have to get to a place where, yes, violence could be a loving act. Right. The greatest commandment is still has to govern yes. your actions. Right. Uh, and if it is, then no matter how you color in those lines, where we have departed from this like pro-violent mili- right. militarism, you know, uh, nationalistic thinking that um, kind of sneaks in right. to some of these conversations. Um, but yeah, I think that there's Jesus himself came as a sacrifice um, to to die on behalf of his enemies, mm-hmm. and then when you get to the early church you see um, 
hundreds, thousands, millions potentially of people following that same pattern of, of being martyred yeah. for their faith. Yes. Uh, and so I think it's important to kind of see that as this um, beating heart of Christianity and, and just part of its heritage that um, you think about the, the Christians in the Roman Empire again and again and again and again and again said, I, I will go nonviolently to my death. Right. Like there was, there was no like, like Christian uprising, you know, of like, let's all like militarize and like fight back against Rome. It was actually them going nonviolently and, and full of faith to their own deaths that, that grew the yeah. church in, in a lot of ways. And so we, we have to see that as the, the beating heart behind everything. And yet, um, and it's beautiful. And uh, as followers of Jesus, we would have to be willing to repeat mm-hmm. that same pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think about like the times that I've been um, overseas and, um, you know, in, in China or in the Middle East or in some of these places that are, are, are uh, more resistant to Christianity, to put it lightly. And I, I've put myself in that scenario. Well, here I am in the Middle East. What would happen? You know, if I was caught sharing with the wrong person or giving a Bible to the wrong person and, you know, what would happen if I was put on trial and all of that? And I worked that through in my mind and my goal in those situations would be to do what Jesus did. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to like, oh my gosh, like they're, you know, banging on the door because they found me handing out Bibles. Where's my handgun? You know, mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, no, like I'm, I'm, I will follow in Jesus' footsteps and go like a lamb to the slaughter. But then, and, and, and I'll stand by that. But then you, you zoom out from there and you look at some of these uh instances of evil and oppression in the world and it gets a lot stickier Mm -hmm. and so i still think you see you got to stick with that beating heart of i you know going non-violently to your death in these situations where you're willing to die for your faith the trickier thing for me is like genocide in rwanda right and you're like, well, here we are in the U.S. We have all this money. We have all this means. Whether you think we should or not, we have the military. Mm-hmm. And you and I have both, you know, served or are serving in mm-hmm. the military. And so what, what the question I'll pose is like, what are you going to do? Like they're, they're being slaughtered, you know, in, in their hundreds of thousands, in their millions. What do you want to do? Because oftentimes to me, it just doesn't sit right to say, well, you know, I'll, I'll pray about it. It's like, well, Shoot, you better be praying real hard because we have the means to do something about that, to actually stop evil, to use force against people who are being violent and oppressive and, and, and shut this thing down. And so if you address the problem of evil from that angle, I, I, I continuously come out saying, well, yeah, we should, we should do something. We should send in armed people. And, and I don't really know what the pure pacifist response would be to say, I'm going to go on the ground and do like a nonviolent protest or, or we just say we got well it'd be twofold see in, in in my mind this is where the kingdom pacifist position you can kind of have best of both worlds so the they would split or at least specifically someone like um greg boyd who's a big mm-hmm. kingdom pacifist um which i'm assuming he would say and he's never going to listen to this but if he ever does he can correct me <laughs> he uh, can come on the show actually. yeah <laughs> We love that. You hear that? You can come on the show, Greg yeah. Boyd, if you ever hear if this. You can fit in Karsh's closet. <laughs> so what they would say is that one, the response of the Christian is to find some sort of creative means to engage with it and and be creative about it. Jesus was creative in the way he responded to um to the religious leadership or even the Roman leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what Christians should do. But the state can do whatever they want. Romans mm-hmm. thirteen. God is going to use the state and God is going to use the state acting violently 
So this you're you're saying this is what a kingdom pacifist yeah, would say. The state that, can the, do whatever they want. Christians shouldn't participate in that, but the state can do whatever they want. Interesting. So you can have the best of both worlds. Okay, so the state in um, the Republic of Rwanda or a neighboring country or even the U.S. Yeah. could go and use the sword to stop violence, yeah. but Christians, Christians can't, can't participate in that. Yeah. Christians, in, in this reading, Romans 12 and Romans 13 sets up this picture that says the church should not engage in these sorts of things. The church and the state are two different, two different ideas, mm-hmm. and the, uh, they're two different, almost like... Um, Two different realms, two, two different, different bodies, two different kingdoms. Two different, yeah, yeah, yeah just, exactly. So the state can go and do that because God's going to use the state even in their wicked, um, broken means. He's going right. to use that violence to bring about justice. Yeah. But the church and Christians should um, not engage with that. Yeah. And, and the advantage, I think, to the pacifist view is that it's more clear cut. You know, like there's, there's a cleanliness to well, it. Well, unless I you think. pay taxes. Okay, okay, okay. You can, you can, there's going to be some bleeding between the realms or whatever. Yeah. But as a Christian, I can, it's very easy for me to articulate and even figure out how to follow the teachings of a kingdom pacifist, even where you and I would land. Yeah, it's it's like a four hour long conversation. Yeah, it's going to be a four hour conversation and we'll end. Which is why the military needs to bring back ethical training for its soldiers. Well, everyone should be on board with that. Should be. Yeah, okay. Well, we do live in a fallen world, so. Uh, but yeah, because you expect an eighteen-year-old, you expect an eighteen-year-old to make like split-second decisions about what they should and shouldn't do in these morally and ethically complex situations. You've never trained them how to do mm-hmm. that. It's unfair to it's unfair yeah. to the kids. So, so a, a couple things come to mind when you're s- stating that. Though one is that my thinking is like, hey, if it's going to take a sacrifice of human life to uh, free the Jews from Nazi Germany, to free the people of, of North Korea, to free, you know, the people who are being slaughtered in Rwanda. If it's going to take a, sacri- a laying down of life in order to do that, then part of me thinks like, well, surely shouldn't that be part of the Christian call? If they say like, in order to stop this evil, it's going to take 10,000 people giving up their lives so that 10 million can be free, then, then my impulse is sort of say, well, it, isn't that still... In like some loving, sense, loving, yeah. loving self-sacrificial, I'll lay down my life for the sake of you know yeah. my brother and sister who are there. Um, the other problem, I don't know if you have any thoughts on um, another thing I read read recently was this moment when um, John the Baptist is calling people to repentance in and in, in baptizing them in the river, preparing the way for Jesus, and soldiers come to him. Do you remember mm. this? Moment? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I, I, it's really stuck out to me the last time I read it because soldiers come to him. And here he is, this total kingdom guy, waiting for the Messiah. And, and he says, you know what? You need to leave the Roman army and you need to leave it right now. That's what Jesus says every time he interacts with the no, Roman soldiers. Yeah, not at all. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's the shocking thing, is that they literally come to him and say, what should we do, Lord? <laughs> like, what do you want us to do? Like, right. We are at your disposal. We are coming to you in brokenhearted repentance. Tell us what to do. And he's like, don't cheat from people. Exactly. Like, don't steal from people. Go do your jobs. Okay, you know what their jobs are, right, John the Baptist? Like, their job is to be a soldier for another country that's, you know, oppressing your country or whatever. And, yeah, what you mentioned, that Jesus is constantly interacting with soldiers. And so the reason I can't go to, like, the full-blown kingdom pacifism, as neat and tidy as it appears, is that you see these interactions with John the Baptist or Jesus, and and it's not neat and tidy. It's it's just, like, he, like, blesses them for their faith and, like, heals them. It doesn't say anything. Like... Well, you told the woman caught in adultery to, to get go out, and leave right? her to, life as Yeah. Sin. Why didn't you say that to the soldiers who right. were oppressing the very Right, which is an argument from silence, which is not the strongest of arguments. Right. Your lawyer, you know that. Yes. But it is important to note that there's these repeated interactions with 
with Roman soldiers, whether it be John the Baptist or Jesus well, or even and Peter. If I'm, a, if I'm a Jew and I'm writing down, if I'm recording the Gospels, I'd be dying to put something in there about how he rebuked the Roman soldiers. That, or, and you wouldn't make them the heroes of the story, in which they often are. Right. Yeah, and, and if you come to, I know John the Baptist isn't Jesus, but if you come to John the Baptist and literally lay it on the table and say, what should I do? I mean, the fruit doesn't hang any lower than that. Like, it doesn't, like, John the Baptist had to respond. The, the gospel writers had to write down that response. And he didn't say, like, sure, there's kind of an argument from silence. But that was his moment. Right. That was his golden moment. That, and historically, another interesting bit historically, is that as much as the, the martyrdom and the, the sending out of the, the apostles to preach the gospel to the four corners of the world, um, the the faith took hold among the um, Roman soldiers. I mean, we oh, yeah. know from where totally. the Roman soldiers will hold up in caves, we have this imagery of, of classic Christian imagery, crosses, fish, uh, boats. And we, we know that the faith took hold among Roman soldiers. If a crucial part of Christian faith was to not be a part of the Roman military right right it probably wouldn't have happened or or any military yeah yeah i'll I'll read the definition of pacifism again this is from the the dictionary it says the belief that any violence including war is unjustifiable under any circumstances and that all disputes should be settled by peaceful means and so to go that far uh is to kind of steamroll through some of these passages where you say well that doesn't seem to be what they were preaching um, but that moves us to, cause we got it. We got to land the plane here. Um, that moves us to maybe the final segment of the podcast, which is what is the direction? How do you articulate sort of this kingdom vision? You know, here's Jesus, turn the other cheek, blessed are the peacemakers. You know, you should be reconciling yourself to others and reconciling different people groups. Yeah. Um, how do you articulate something that's not kingdom pacifism that leaves room for this other stuff? Uh, and that, that someone can understand rather than just like, well, it's really muddy and just weigh it out and, you know, listen to the spirit. Well, it's, it, it is a discernment process, but I mean, as far as from a, from a national standpoint, there, there's, there's both qualifications for how to enter into war and then how to conduct yourself in war, just ad bello and just in bellow. They're I don't Latin, know what, I don't know what that means. Oh yeah. I don't speak. Um, like just entry into war and just conduct in war. Oh, okay. The way that I would sum it up is with a couple of things. One, keeping that Isaiah 2 and Revelation promise of a future in which we have no more war, we have peace, we have shalom. Mm-hmm. That is our intended end. And mm-hmm. as much as we can in the here and now, our, our prayer is your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth, earth as it is in heaven. heaven. Like that stuff should ex- that should characterize our lives now. That's our goal. That not, is our goal. Not victory in in militism. No. Not the spread of empire. Not any of that. Right. That we're sort of tr- almost unconsciously trained in a little. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, that's another subject. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, so that has to be the end goal. So we seek out creative means to to solve conflict. And that does not resort to coercive force or violence. Um, so whether that be on the individual, I mean, on the individual level, there, you, very, you find very, very few, if any, circumstances where use of violent or coercive force is appropriate, according to um, what Christian writers have said over centuries. 
pretty much the only time where it may be acceptable sometimes is if you're defending someone else who's defenseless mm-hmm. and you need to, as a last resort, use coercive violence to, for- to stop the person from killing To save someone person. else. Yes, to save yeah. someone else. If it's you who's on the line, there's really no, you really have no recourse. Right. Um, personal vengeance is never okay. Right. Um, even, even like self-defense doesn't really seem to be uh, defensible. Yeah. Not to use the same word twice, but um, so if you're defending someone else, that seems to be an appropriate... I, I don't want to distract you, but what do you make of the sword passage where Jesus tells his disciples? Oh, that one's it's notoriously difficult. Um, you're referencing where Jesus uh, Jesus is telling uh, his disciples to, to go and get their swords or buy their swords. It's yeah, he's like, like, have a sword for your journey. And they're like, we only have three and among then he's, us. And, and he he's says, like, that's, that's enough. That's plenty. Right. Well, it's, it's notoriously hard because he says that's enough. Mm. And you have to read in his tone into that, that statement. Is he saying that's enough? Like three swords will be fine. You can protect yourselves. Or is he saying that's enough? Like you oh, misunderstood oh, like me. A, like a rebuke? Yeah. Oh. And so if you read through the kingdom pacifism people, mm. they'll say his tone is that's enough. Like you've misunderstood Jesus's point. Yeah. It's another one of those like get behind me you know yeah exactly like statements yeah. Like, yeah but if if you're reading it from the other perspective and saying like well he's telling them get three swords you don't all need a sword you, you'll need to protect yourselves for the sake of of what i'm doing in this very fragile kind of state mm-hmm. um you know you're not going to take over so you don't need 15 swords right so you just you're need not forming three. a militia <laughs> exactly just three that's enough you guys will be fine huh and interesting how you read jesus's tone in that is Right, because that's the when I like just mentally think through the gospels. That's like the only little shred of like, well, was he actually saying they could carry a sword, and was it for self defense? Right, but but you're saying if you're going to articulate where you fall, it's that it's a, that's the, a unique there, time and there place. There is no, there is no justification in the gospel even for self defense. It's for the defense of others as a last resort that yeah. you would use force or violence. Yeah. yeah, and and thinking specifically in terms of like martyrdom and persecution for your faith. Totally. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the context I'm, I'm thinking. Right. Oh yeah, totally. Because I I do think you have to separate those because the only time that like the church arms itself for the sake of the church is like disaster in my mind. (laughs) It's just like, we're still like apologizing to people in the modern age about something that happened a thousand years ago where, you know, people arm themselves for the sake of Christ. And so we're like, we're, we're rejecting the violent nationalism. We're also rejecting like Christians arming themselves. Like if it's about your faith or it's about the church, like you got to go the way of Jesus, you know, like there's no, but if it's almost more of like this civil matter or I'm, I see someone else who's in need and I can't think of any other. Or I need other, to protect my wife and kids or something. Right, right, right. Someone who's defenseless or under my care who, and I don't see another way. You know, if I, if I see another way, I'll take that other yeah. way, even if it costs me something. Yeah. But if this is the only way that I see and it's, you know, my wife and kids or, you know, the, the you know, refugees in Rwanda or whatever the case is, and this is the only way to, and this, it becomes the most loving thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's restrained. I mean, maybe that's, oh, right. I mean, it's like right, embedded, right. but the other qualification, I'd say it's restrained. So, um, the violence that we we use in a loving way is always restrained. It's never over the top. It's never. Um, I mean, the, when you think about it in terms of like warfare, what that means is you just do enough force to stop them from being able to fight. 
Mm-hmm. You're not you're not using enough force to like completely obliterate them off the face of the planet. Right. You're using enough force to stop their ability to fight, which is why in like the law of war, um, you you're supposed to help someone after you have injured them to a place where they can no totally. longer fight. You're supposed to help them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You get out on the field and you and pick up you their bandage wounded. them. Yeah, and then you and bandage you, them you up. Put them back together. Yeah. So if you take that and you extend it into like a personal situation, you just use enough force as you absolutely have to. You don't go over the top and you don't, your, your goal isn't to use as much force as possible. Your goal is to use as little force as possible in order to stop the evil act. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, awesome. I mean, could you run us through just like real quick before we end? Cause yeah. we have to, we yeah. have to close, but could you just run us through like, a classic scenario in your mind where like and maybe we'll take it to like a national level right okay. so some self-proclaimed enemy of the u.s um and you know h- how do you think through like if you were the president and following jesus or whatever the scenario is yeah. like, how would you think through like what are my nonviolent steps what are my creative steps when do i go to war what does war look like because i just want to help people i just want to color that in a little bit and not leave it theoretical use world war ii as like an example yeah, yeah, okay sure. so I mean, that's classic that's yeah. the classic example because that is defense of a of a defenseless other population now did the u.s conduct itself with complete uh just did they com- did they conduct themselves justly in warfare throughout the war? No, of course they didn't. Um, but the the context, if we're just thinking, okay, the U.S. Uh, sees that Germany is invading these other countries, and they start to hear stories of uh, extermination of an entire people group, mm-hmm. um, Jewish people who live both in Germany, but then in Poland and the Czech and uh, the Czech wasn't the Czech Republic at the time, but right. um, France and people are Jews are being sent to these camps to then be killed. And you start hearing these stories, and you think, well, n- literally, as Germany has taken over these other places, no one can fight them. Mm-hmm. And if 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 we don't do anything, and the UK is saying to to the US, hey, we don't have the power to fight them, and if you don't step up, we're going to crumble as well. Mm-hmm. You just you just let this kind of cancer almost just keep right. spreading and spreading and spreading. And so the U.S. is faced with, and this is overly simplified, but is faced with a choice to say, hey, do we, do we take a step in? Because at the time, especially after World War I, we didn't want to get involved. We, oh, did yeah. not wanna, yeah, yeah. we wanted to keep our people out of it. We wanted that to step to stay over there. We wanted to not have to think about it. We wanted to not have to worry about it. Right. Well, and if there's a modern critique, they're gonna, it would be we waited too long. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so then you think back historically, what really motivated us into the, into the war was in part Pearl Harbor, but there's all sorts of other factors. And so we're motivated to then join into the war because, Hey, this has now become real for us. Mm-hmm. Now it's been real for like these families who have people back in oh, the old right. country. It's yeah. been real for them. Um, but so the U S then enters into the war, uh, and if from one lens, what they're doing is they're they're going to defend these these little countries throughout Europe who've been taken over by by the Nazis, and then we come to find out, oh my gosh, they are actually trying to to commit yeah, genocide. Our worst nightmare. Yeah. And so then we're motivated all the more to to stop it, mm-hmm. and so we sacrifice abundantly in order to fight this kind of evil mm-hmm. uh, that is 
really, I mean, at that point, the Nazis hadn't really hurt the uh, hadn't hurt right. the US. We could have left the Nazis yeah. alone and you know focused on Japan or yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but we decided not to. Yeah, um, and I find very few people who would say that that was the wrong choice. Right? Do you do you know? And I wish we actually had like a passionate pas- pacifist mm-hmm. here in the closet with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but do you know like what? Because I've always been curious, like what would a purely kingdom pacifist? I think pacifist, would have asked about like, that. They would just they would do the separation. They thing would do the separation say, things. Like, well, that was the state. The all state non-Christian soldiers should just go over there. And, yeah. And, well, there shouldn't be any Christian soldiers in that worldview. Well, right, right. All the non-Christians should arm themselves and get over there and yeah. do something about it. Um, I don't know if they'd say should. But you can. You can. <laughs> okay. And and we, our responsibility is to find creative ways to engage with it. So we should be empowering the church living in Germany to do stuff creatively, nonviolently, right. to free the Jews from those concentration camps. That's what we should be doing right, as the right, church. Right. And you know what? I think that if we put more thought and time and effort into that line of thinking, we'd be better off. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So my whole thing is and i don't i haven't developed my thoughts as well as you have my whole thing is what i see is this this huge potential in the world for the pre-war options yeah it's just like we are so so short-sighted when it comes to international conflict it's just like oh he's over my border oh he did that oh he violated a contract okay call up the troops you know like it's just we just skip straight from like a to z in like the drop of a hat and i think there's this huge huge arena that we're not utilizing at all of creative international politics and like how do we how do we even thinking about like terrorism in the middle east Mm -hmm. and okay well think of all the beautiful creative ways we could be loving people in those regions that would be stifling that would be rippling the support right out from underneath some of these terrorist groups and at the same time we would be feeding people and clothing people and giving them which is ironically what the u.s ends up doing when they go in anyways because they realize that you can't just you actually just can't snuff out like violence right. with violence you can't do it right it doesn't work yeah and so we we end up resorting to like this these humanitarian missions to say mm. like well actually what these people need and what will actually do away with terrorism is actually increasing their quality of life in general right 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 but like let's think about before war breaks out right. let's think about what these people need right and and you know coming up with these more like hey what's our first like primary secondary like avenues that we want to get at this and uh, let, let's take our fingers off the trigger for a little bit. And so when I think about how would, you know, just war change America? Well, m- maybe, you know, we could dream about what it might may or may not have changed in World War II, but it's even easier to think about the ways it would have changed other wars and conflicts oh, yeah. in my yeah. mind. Like World War II is like the most cut and dry, like even under just war, like you got to go in there. Um, well, maybe you don't have, have, have to, but it's yeah. the clearest case in my mind. Yeah. And so I think there's, as Christians, we should be, we should put way more time, energy, and effort into dreaming about what it looks like to be peacemakers in the world, about dreaming about, hey, what if war was our fourth option? What if it was our fifth? What was mm-hmm. our sixth? And most of us just don't even know what to put on the first four options. Right. Like we just haven't seen it. We just haven't developed that. And I think that's where there's the most room to grow in all of this. So, um, any no, that's a great place to end. Thoughts? That's a great place. Okay, well, yeah, I mean, we would affirm uh, the dignity and value of all human life. That every single uh, human being is an image bearer. 
um, that, that the taking of human life should always be done uh, with a heavy heart. We should feel the weightiness of it. Um, and even if we don't intend to feel the weight of it, oftentimes we do. And you see the effect it has on people who um, kill and don't think it will affect mm-hmm. them. And oh my gosh, it really does. And so there's a weightiness there that we have to acknowledge. And we have leaps and bounds to grow and thinking about Hey, what's our first, second, third option uh, in dealing with terrorism and dealing with international conflict and dealing with like, hey, let's set the, the other stuff aside uh, long enough to, um, you know, think creatively and beautifully and, and uh, allow Jesus to, to lead us in some really creative responses. And so that's where I see the most uh, growth and opportunity in all this. Yes. Yeah. All right, Karshi. Well, I think that does it based on time, but I appreciate you. Appreciate you sharing your thoughts. Uh, And why don't you bless the people? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Amen. again for listening to the Q&A podcast. If you have questions you'd like answered, text in your question to 208-503-3865.